want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Hey, everybody. It's Nick Baumgartner here from The Athletic. And as promised, a Michigan football podcast uh, starting twice weekly uh, here with a new colleague of mine, Austin Meek. Austin, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Nick. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun transition to the Michigan beat for me. I I think the uh, Michigan beat might lead the nation in podcasts per capita. And I have done like three, I think, in the last three years. This is my third. We will have a fourth soon. Uh, but this one will just be me and Austin talking Michigan football uh, the whole time. So anything we do from here on out or anything else I do... Uh, we'll be separate, but Austin and I will be with you twice a week during the season, um, and we'll keep it mostly with just the in the weeds on the football stuff. Uh, most of you know who I am. If you don't, um, if, uh, I'm Nick Baumgartner. I've covered Michigan since 2011. Uh, I've done so at uh, MLive and most recently the Detroit Free Press. Uh, joined The Athletic uh, I don't know, earlier this month and uh, doing a little bit of everything with football this year. But, of course, Michigan is mainly my, uh, I guess, historical expertise anyway. And uh, Austin um, comes from us from Oregon. Um, right. And we actually met uh, many, many years ago, for me, many gray hairs ago and pounds ago <laughs> in uh, Maui, correct? Yeah, we. I, I think we met at a little tiki bar in Maui uh, when I was covering Kansas yeah. basketball and you would have been covering Michigan, Michigan basketball yeah. at the time. What was that, like 2011? It was 2011 yeah. because it was... Uh, I remember it very specifically, not only because it was Maui. I, also, I missed. I almost missed my connection from Vegas to Maui. So there was that. <laughs> Vegas uh, to Maui. Yeah, I had to connect through. Uh, I also remember it being like Trey Burke's uh, welcome to college, you know, kind of moment because he left Maui. He played so well in that tournament and then left Maui, convinced that he was going to go pro like three weeks into his career. And I remember that trip specifically because I had a huge layover on Thanksgiving Day. Coming home because Michigan was playing Ohio State that weekend. Uh, I was like in the air. I was traveling for like 30 hours or something stupid like that. And I got home in the apartment we lived in at the time, actually. I think I remember I got home at like 6 a.m. and tried to open my door, what I thought was my door, like banging on it. And somebody else comes to the door and is like, hello? I'm like, oh, this is the wrong apartment. My bad. Uh, So I remember, though. Those were a long long time ago. That feels like 100 years ago. Yeah, I think some of the worst jet lag I've ever had was coming back from the Maui Invitational. I mean, it's a great trip. It's like the, you know, a dream assignment if you're a sports writer. But, yeah, you get home and it's like Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving and, like, your family wants to interact with you. You're like, I'm dying. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you you have been in Maui for the last week. Like, you owe us, you know. And it's like, I I know, but I'm just exhausted. I don't know what day it is. Uh, but yeah, so I, I uh, at that time I was covering Kansas basketball. I'm a native Kansan. Uh, I worked for a newspaper in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, I moved to Eugene, Oregon in 2013. Uh, I was the sports columnist at the Register Guard there. Uh, I covered covered the Ducks uh, for six years, and and now I'm here, first year covering Michigan for the Athletic. So you covered Willie Taggart for a year, correct? I did. Yeah, the uh, the the. Th- Third or fourth Harbaugh brother, however many there are. <laughs> degrees of separation from Jim Harbaugh. Willie yeah. We've both covered Willie Taggart. I covered Willie Taggart at Western Kentucky. Austin covered him at Oregon. And now here we are with Jim Harbaugh, who's a little bit different than ever. I'm going to assume that Willie Taggart uh, is uh, much, uh, ha- the opinion of Willie Taggart is much higher at Western Kentucky than it is at Oregon. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah, they remember him fondly there as not only he was a good coach, but also a great player there. But uh, in any event, Austin, of course, very familiar with college football. 
Uh, a little more new to the Big Ten, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into all that uh, as time goes on here. Uh, there's plenty to talk about on the beat this week, of course, as Michigan will open up its 2019 season Saturday uh, night game, 7.30, 8 o'clock? Yeah, it's somewhere between there, first I think. Ever, 7.40? First ever season opening night. You'll learn these people around here really get amped up about night games. Some love them and some hate them, and it's just a very, a very polarizing topic. But anyway, Yeah, which is interesting coming from yeah. a place where like there was nonstop complaining on the yeah. West Coast about night games because traditionally there never were night games there because it starts at midnight yeah. in our time zone. Uh, and so people, when they started, when the Pac-12 started playing those really late games, yeah. of course the fans uh, complained about it to no end. Yeah. But Here I'm was very, it was a very uh, weird transition into it as like the first year they ever did it. It was like 2011. That was the first time they ever had a night game here, and it was this huge, huge deal. And they kept saying, oh, it's only going to be big-time opponents. We're never going to have a night game against some whatever team. Well, uh, <laughs> that went away a couple years here ago. Here we are. And now, uh, no offense to Middle Tennessee, but that's what this is. Uh, in any event, uh, Jim Harbaugh spoke with uh, all of us this morning. Um, first game week of the season, uh, a lot of this stuff right now, we don't know what, what things are going to look like, but more or less... Um, this is depth chart time, I suppose, to figure yeah. out you know who's doing what and where uh, and how's, how, how it's all going to look. I know you're writing more about this uh, tomorrow, but uh, as we go through the offense here, uh, do you have your basic uh, idea? I think we have a pretty good idea of what's, how this is going to go. Well, we've got one that we can write down because uh, Jim Harbaugh did say definitively today that Shea Patterson will start quarterback. Of, of course, everybody expected that. Uh, but he also you know, did not uh, certainly did not throw any water on the idea that Dylan McCaffrey is going to play. So I guess we start with quarterback Shea Patterson one, Dylan McCaffrey two. What's your guess about how much we see Dylan McCaffrey in this game? Yeah, I am like really fascinated by this. I, I don't know. I mean, we talked to Shea Patterson last week, right? And he was like, "No, I want to be. This, I want to play every snap." <laughs> yeah. Like so, which is fine. I mean, like that's what I think I probably want to hear if I were them out of the quarterback. But I'm really interested to see how this goes because you know I don't think you can. I wouldn't limit this to just gadget plays or gimmicks or something. I don't think that's a great idea that every time he comes in the game, everybody knows you're running some sort of weird uh, situation. But, I mean, he's, throughout spring anyway, he proved himself as, you know, if we're talking 11 guys start, I would say that I think they thought of Dylan McCaffrey as one of their 15 to 20 best players offensively. Uh, and in any other scenario, you're going to get him in the game. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's certain packages against certain looks that they like or they just have a pre-planned situation of, we're going to get him two series or something in the first half or the first three quarters and see what happens. I really don't know. But it is fascinating because it's not going to be a two-quarterback system necessarily, I don't think. But two-quarterback systems don't always really work either. So it's going to have to be a weird or a different way of approaching it. Yeah, well, another fascinating situation is uh, the running back position Jim Harbaugh said today he does not know who is going to start. Uh, it seems like it's basically three guys, True Wilson, Christian Turner, uh, the freshman, Zach Charbonnet. What's your guess there about the first guy on the field? Uh, I mean, probably Wilson, I think, based on everything they've said. But, you know, depending on health and everything else, I would bet that Christian Turner is probably the guy who winds up with the most carries, uh, at least through the first guy. I don't know, it's hard to say because they play middle and they play army and then they've got Wisconsin after I think a bye, right? Uh, yeah. So I would think by the time they get into the meat of a schedule, it's probably Christian Turner, um, depending on his health. But I would think it might be pretty evenly split. I mean, Zach Charbonnet appears he's playing. and that, that's they've, They can't really steer that train back into the station. They've hyped him, hyped him up for months now. So 
Uh, if he's healthy, if Turner's healthy, those are the two most physically gifted backs. Wilson's not a chump, though, and his former walk-on thing sometimes gets overblown as well. So yeah. I would assume all of them play in some capacity. Yeah, I observed that too with Charbonnet, that a lot of times if a coach senses that the hype is getting a little bit out of control for a freshman, he'll he'll tap the brakes a little yeah. bit. I haven't noticed that with him. No. I have noticed that with Dax Hill a little bit, where anytime sure. anybody's getting too excited about Dax Hill, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, he's a freshman. Yeah. He's doing the bridge program. We'll work yeah. him in. <laughs> the bridge program, the ultimate excuse. So yeah. maybe he's not ready yet. Right. Yeah, fair enough. I, I also don't know. We talked so much about these running backs. I don't know. I've been of the belief, and maybe I'm in the minority for a while now. I don't think it's that big a deal. I think that they have three capable guys. I think their offensive line is, we'll talk to them in a second, but their offensive line should be really, really good. And I think that that offensive line will help as they kind of find their way at that position group. You know, if they had Chris Evans, that would obviously help. But Chris Evans was not going to be some sort of cure-all to any woes. That that running back group needed more depth anyway, so uh, you're going to get it right away. Yeah. Well, speaking of that offensive line, uh, you know, if, if everybody's healthy, it's pretty clear-cut that you have four starters coming back that, that are starters again. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Mayfield is the guy who steps in at right tackle with Andrew Stuber going down and being out for the season now with an ACL. Uh, what what do we expect out of Jalen Mayfield uh, based on what you saw of him in, in pretty limited time last year, but it seems like he's a guy that the, the coaching staff is really high on. Yeah, so they loved him right when he showed up. He got to campus last year as a true freshman who, uh, a bit heavier or stronger than I think that they anticipated. He wasn't an early enrollee. Um, he was a summer guy. And I think they, you know, he was a guy who they recruited at like 270 pounds. He was athletic, uh, still is, of course. But his strength gains have been um, advanced, and I think they've really had a hard time. Not a hard time, but I mean, I think they really took a longer look at him last year than maybe they would have in any other way. He was the only freshman in that group that was probably ready to play. Um, he got some time in there along with uh, and James Hudson, who's now in Cincinnati, of course, was the other tackle. That was a young guy who was kind of pushing, and then they eventually just settled on Juwan Bushel-Beatty, who was a fifth-year senior. But Mayfield is really athletic. Um, he's like 3'10"-ish now, I think. He's up there. He's 6'5", 6'6", so he's long. Um, I think the future of this offensive line is Mayfield at right tackle and Ryan Hayes, who is going to back up John Runyon this year, uh, who's a redshirt freshman as well, at left tackle. Uh, you're just We're just going to get to see that with Mayfield earlier now, I think. Um, I think he would have played a lot this year anyway. I think that, that Stuber-Mayfield battle, from all accounts, was extremely close. All the way through, they split it even in spring. If it were me, I was always like, I'll just go with the younger guy. But it, it's only by one set, one year separated. So I think Mayfield's a good player. I think he's a good prospect. But, you know, when they turn live bullets on, that's uh, that's a separate situation. How do we feel about uh, the the number twos on, on the offensive line? Uh, you know, we know a lot, I think, about yeah. the five guys who are going to start. But uh, if, if they need those, those backups yeah. to come in, how does Michigan feel about those guys? And who are they? Yeah, so I think that obviously Stuber being gone uh, does put a bit of a ding in it, but they do have a they have as you're coming here at a very interesting time. Michigan's offensive line from like 2008 to like two years ago was like paper thin. They had no depth. They struggled with uh, recruiting replacements and everything else. I mean, it just never seemed to work. And over the last maybe 18 months, it's finally started to round into form. So you still do have. Um, you know, we, we mentioned Ryan Hayes already. Uh, Chuck Filiaga is a second-year guard who I think's body is in better shape than it was when he first got here. 
Uh, Joel Honingford will now, I think they said he was moved back out to tackle. He'd been playing some guards. So Joel Honingford, who was in the same class as Andrew Stuber, is another guy who can provide some depth. He's played a little bit. Uh, Steven Spinellis is a terrific sort of swingman, center, guard, fourth-year player who's kind of been in their top six or top seven for a couple years now. Uh, so he's in there. They really like Andrew Vistardis, um, who's a former walk-on. I think he's on scholarship, or at least he was last year uh, as an interior center guard uh, type situation. But, yeah, I mean, they have five filled out. It's just a matter of, you know, who would be number one off the bench if you needed to bring in a sixth guy or something. Um, and maybe if you had to put Ryan Hayes into action earlier than you want. Because he's the one guy, he's... A former high school tight end, he's 6'8", he was like 250 when they signed him, he's up to 300 now. Super athletic, should be, he has the body build of what could be a terrific future NFL type football player. But um, some of those guys, I, I think if you get one more injury, you know, you're starting to dive in a little deeper. They do have some depth, but um, you're already at one. You don't want to you don't wanna add that up uh, this early in the season. Right. All right, uh, looking at tight end. Uh, Josh Gaddis, I think, got some people's attention early in camp by saying that I believe he said that Michigan had hands down the two best tight hands ends in down. the nation. <laughs> yeah, it's the hands down that really sets it off. Uh, yeah. So uh, your read on that is is uh, that just the typical uh, unfettered optimism of the preseason, or is there a lot to like about this tight end? Yeah, that just sounds like Josh Gaddis in general, right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he just makes like these very explosive statements that are. Uh, uh, that's fine. I mean, it's going to give those guys confidence. But I, I think that Eubanks is, um, in terms of versatility, a guy that uh, they've really liked for a while. Eric All is a, is a freshman who's probably going to play some. But those two guys, I think, are the ones that when they look at it down the road, they, uh, you know, they're guys that they can do a lot of different things with. Sean McCune is a guy that uh, it's still here. He's a senior. He's played every year. Um, I think he's a really steady player. He's their best tight end. Uh, he's their best blocking tight end. He gets a lot of flack from a lot of people for many different reasons uh, because, you know, Michigan's offense in the past anyway, and I'm sure it'll still be this this way uh, with some of the stuff they do now, but they asked the tight end to do a lot. Um, they ran a lot of those, um, uh, like, arc read, zone read type things where the tight end is supposed to be either bluffing on a, on a play where they hook around and get a key block or, you know, I mean, his assignment changes so much. They were asking the tight ends to do a lot. I thought he was a very strong blocker last year. He dropped a few passes. Uh, so did Zach Gentry. That the, Any fan who sees a pass dropped immediately just tags that guy as a guy who can't catch, right? So I think he's he's had those hiccups in his career, but I think he's been a very steady player, um, a steady senior guy who's never – he came in as a freshman and I think was at least in the rotation. So um, I think he's a really good college tight end in terms of blocking. I think he's fine as a pass catcher. I think Eubanks can be really explosive – at some point in his career, I think maybe this is maybe this is the year we see some of that. Uh, he's a 6'5", 6'6", 240, 250 guy that can run. I mean, he was basically a, a skinny wide receiver in high school that they moved to tight end. So when I look back at former Gaddis offenses like a Mike Kosicki or guys like that, or he said today he watched a lot of Irv Smith from Alabama, um, I can see him being in that role. Uh, I can see them using tight ends quite a bit. I can see them playing in 11 personnel quite a bit where it's one back, one tight end, and then the three receivers. And there's a lot you can do with that. So that's you know that's what the NFL does. I don't know if we'll see as much double tight, but if you do, I think that they have enough athletes there um, to where that could help. Now, the only problem with that, though, is if you're doing double tight, you're taking one of those receivers off the field, and I 
would never do that because those guys are really really talented. Yeah, speaking of the receivers, so obviously there's a lot of uh, a lot of focus on on the three guys: Donovan yeah. Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, Tariq Black. Uh, I'm thinking about when I do this depth chart tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about putting in Ronnie Bell as the starting slot receiver. Am I crazy for that? Is I that think so. because okay. yeah? I mean, Jim Harbaugh said today he's been their most improved player in camp. And I think we've heard that for a little while now. I think people have said that from from a few different folks that Ronnie Bell has been um, yeah, a pleasant surprise for them. Former basketball player, as we know, he got on the field a little bit last year. Uh, Tariq Black is the big kind of like, we just don't know what Tariq Black they're going to get. I mean, he's broke his foot twice. Uh, we all know now that when he was a freshman here, entering that season, he looked outstanding. And he looked, he looked older than a freshman. He looked really polished and everything else. But he's been hurt twice, and what player are we going to get here? I know Josh Gaddis talked in spring a little bit about some of the goal with him was to make sure he mentally gets over uh, some of those hurdles. Uh, if that has been a process that's been ongoing and Ronnie Bell has sort of matured into an actual, you know, everyday <clears throat> college football receiver, then I could certainly see that. I think, though, that it's a weird situation because they have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, those are your top two, no question, right? Then you have Bell and Black. Um and then you go deeper, and you have Mike Sanders still, who was a freshman in, that was here in spring. Giles Jackson, Cornelius Johnson are two freshmen who Harbaugh likes. I don't know how much they'll play. But, I mean, they have five guys. They have at least, let's say, five who could rotate through. Um, some of them are younger. But, no, Ronnie Bell, I mean, I, I'm interested to see it. I mean, he's been a pretty – he was the only freshman really last year that played. So, why not? Do we know in Gaddis's offense with these receivers, like, will they all play everywhere? Will there be guys who's like – an yep. inside slot guy, and other guys who are the outside guys. How how are they going to do this? So I think that they line up. Yeah, I think it, it varies. I think uh, you can line up uh, in various different areas. Whereas like a guy like Nico Collins, I think you probably mainly default with him on the outside. Um, but that's not to say that if you want to line up, you know, Nico Collins and uh, Nick Eubanks on the same side, you got two two giant dudes. Maybe you get a mismatch in the slot or something. But Peoples-Jones can play anywhere. Um, Tariq Black, when he's healthy, can play anywhere. And I think Ronnie Bell, actually, is also another guy who could probably play inside or out. Um, so I think what they look for, for the most part, if I remember back when he was at Penn State, they had a lot of guys, Stashawn Hamilton, um, Gasicki was the big the slot tight end. Of course, they had Saquon Barkley, but they had some others in there, too. Um, I can't think of the guy's name, but well, there's, a, there's a few. And they played all over the place. And they were all very you know seasoned, polished route runners, Um who knew what their assignment was? They got open, uh, and it worked really well in Moorhead's offense. So I think it's, uh, I think you can you can bounce them around a little bit. But we talked so much last year about they had so much talent at receiver, and like Donovan Peoples Jones had like seventy targets, and Nico Collins had like fifty, and those numbers are way too low. I mean, those things that yeah. they have to go up. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and Eubanks kind of hit on that today that I they think or they hope everybody's targets will go up, which leads all of us to believe that they're going to throw the ball more. Yeah. Well, I actually think the defensive side is maybe the more uh, the more challenging and the more interesting side when you think about putting together a depth chart. And you've kind of written about this too, of yeah. just the different combinations and the different looks uh, that Don Brown has to play with with this defense. I guess maybe to start off with, what's what what's the base look uh, for this defense? If we had to, you know, put yeah. down eleven guys, uh, are we are we sure that it's four defensive linemen uh, right. and three linebackers? What do we think about? That? I'm not, and I, that's my biggest question defensively going into the game, or even even the early part of the season is what do you want to do? And I think it may be situational, but depending on how they're playing each week. Um, but no, I mean, like 
there's scenarios where you could put yourself in like a three three five. Um, you could do a four two five. You could do a four one six. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things they can do, uh, and some of that stuff can vary without having to sub anybody. So because you know, you gotta, we've talked about a guy like Josh Josh Uche, um, who is a really good rush rush end, of course, but built a little bit like a linebacker. He can run like a linebacker. He can cover. So he's in a hybrid type role where he spent most of his offseason working with the linebackers, but he's been a defensive end. So that leads me to think, okay, he's going to maybe play both, or sometimes he'll be on the ground, sometimes his hand will be up. What I don't think is going to happen is Josh Uche only plays like a handful of snaps. I think he's going to be pretty much an every down player, a guy that you don't want to take off the field. So what that leads me to believe is, if we're talking defensive line, that that big interior tackle, the big run stuffing, that guy comes off the field. I mean, if you're going to play somebody who's going to spread you out, then the Donovan Jeter, Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton position, which is pretty thin anyway, uh, not thin in weight. Those guys are gigantic, but like thin, thin in depth. Uh, I would think that position probably comes off the field. Um, but when you're playing Army, maybe not. When you're playing Wisconsin, probably not at all, because Wisconsin will run the ball on any down. So I have no idea. I, I don't know. I mean, like, and he's played that pretty well close to the vest this year on what they want to do and I'm not sure if there is one answer to that question I mean I think it could be all over the we talk so much about those will linebackers that gets talked about a ton right like you've yeah. been here for a couple of weeks and how many times have you heard somebody ask hey Devin Giller McGrone who's yeah, winning it's, that yeah it's a source of fascination yeah and like but but I wonder too like does it matter because it are those guys going to be every down players or mm-hmm. does that guy get taken off the field for an extra defensive back right. so there's a lot of different things you can do I wonder if the default will be find the fastest 11 and put the fastest 11 on the field, whatever that, if that's three in the front, three in the middle, and five in the back, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, the the question has been asked, uh, and, and I forget how it came up, but there's there's been this discussion of, is this the, the fastest yeah. front seven that Michigan's had since whenever? Uh, which, you know, for me as the outsider... Looking at it, it's like, how well, is that possible? Devin, Devin Bush <laughs> yeah. was pretty pretty fast, right? right? Like, how do you take him off of that defense and say they're they're just as fast? But maybe they can be. I don't know. Devin Bush ran a forty at the combine faster than Denard Robinson. <laughs> I want to just remind everyone of that uh, as we talk about this. He was the fastest and best linebacker I have seen at Michigan since I've been doing this. Certainly since I've been doing this, and I think you can argue he's one of the best in terms of talent and the impact he had in the past 25, 30 years, I would think. I'm not breaking anybody's uh, heart when I say that. I don't think if I'm disrespecting somebody, I'm sure they'll let me know. But you can't take him off the defense and then say we're going to be faster. I mean, like, that's just not fair. Like, Josh Ross isn't slow. Um, He's fast enough. Like, Cam Cam McGrone is fast enough. They're not – these aren't slow players, but they're not running 4-4-6 or whatever it was that uh, Devin Bush did. So, of course, you're going to get a little slower there, but I think that their hope is that with players like Uche, um, Quidipe, um, Mike Dana, maybe even to a degree, that maybe in the aggregate overall you're up front, you're a little faster up front. Um, maybe this means, you know, Hudson's obviously going to play a likely Hudson, uh, but again, he wasn't faster than Devin Bush. Like, I don't think he runs a 4 4 6. Maybe he does, and maybe I'm wrong, but. Uh, but he's got some speed. Uche has speed. Um, the back end, I think you're, you're you're upgrading a little bit in terms of speed. Tyreek Hill was a very disciplined safety, but not the fastest guy in the world. So it's really weird. I don't know. They say that a lot. This is the fastest 
we've ever had. But that that one, like they said that last year, and I was willing to believe it. I don't know if I'm willing to believe it right now because, like you just said, how do you? Winovich wasn't slow. Rashawn Gary was not slow. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like these guys moved pretty well in the NFL. So probably. yeah, like I'm not sure if uh, I buy that right now, but hey. Maybe Josh Ross is running a 4-4. I don't know that. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see and see how he plays. So however we slice this, I, are we pretty confident saying that Aiden, Hutch, Aiden Hutchinson yeah. and, and Quiddy Pay are two of the top 11, however yeah, yeah. you do that? Two, yeah. So they'll be on the field. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hutchinson is, is now your Rashawn Gary. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's bulked up and he's in the 270, 280. Uh, they really like him a lot. He's going to be really good here, I think. Um, he played some as a true freshman last year, but he's kind of tailor-made for that role as that anchor front side end. Um, Quiddy Pay is a played a little bit of that last year, but also probably fits better at the weak side. Um, and then Mike Dana is the other defensive end there from Central Michigan, the transfer uh, from CMU, who they love a lot as well. And I think that all three of those guys, well, at least Pay and Dana can play both sides. Mm-hmm. Hutchinson, certainly an anchor. I'm not sure how much he'll, he'll see on the weak side, but I don't know if they would need him to do that. Um, those three guys I think are going to play a lot. Uh, I think your interior tackle that's going to be on the field a lot is either Kemp or Dwemfor or possibly Chris Hinton. I suppose Matthew Smith can be in there too. And then Jeter is the, if it's first and 10 and they've got a run package in, he's in the game. You know, I think that, that that's kind of how I look at it. With that, I think they've got six or seven up front they can rotate through pretty comfortably. Um, beyond that, you're asking a lot. I mean, I've heard some younger guys like Taylor Upshaw be mentioned. But I think they have enough. They've had some serious, crazy depth up front before uh, in the last couple of years here where they had like 10 guys who could legitimately play. So it would make sense to have four all the time to just be an even front. I don't know if that's the case now, like we just talked about. I don't think the depth is as wide, so maybe you go a little more odd and put another linebacker on the field. Well, I've been saying uh, throughout camp that the most pressing need when you look at it on paper is to find a cornerback uh, to play opposite Lavert Hill. You would think Ambry Thomas is the guy who plays there if he's healthy. Uh, he hasn't been healthy. The update today from Jim Harbaugh is that uh, he's back in practice on a limited basis. And I was a little surprised to hear Jim Harbaugh say uh, that they haven't determined whether he'll play. I would be surprised if he plays. But if they're even talking about that, that's probably a good sign based on where it was a couple weeks ago. But still, uh, it looks like Vince Gray will probably be the guy who plays uh, with with Hill at cornerback. What what is the concern level with the depth at cornerback? How how badly do they need Ambry Thomas to get back? Yeah, that's the biggest one on the team. That's the biggest hole or in terms of depth. A lot of a lot got made about that defensive tackle spot, but again, for all those reasons we just discussed, I don't think that's I think that's been a little overblown. Corner, however, is a serious uh, situation, especially if Ambry Thomas is limited, because you know this was supposed to be his year. Um, he is a legit four three guy. He's a fast football player, probably their fastest defensive back, maybe beside of Daxton Hill. Um, but this was supposed to be his time, and of course, he gets sick in the offseason, lost a ton of weight, and everything else. Um, but it, while he mends, I suppose, we've never seen Vincent Gray in a game. Uh, we've never seen DJ Turner in a game. We've never seen uh, Jemin Green in a game. But we know that they've all been in the system for a year with Vince Gray. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like that, that that's the hard part because Levert Hill is an all-Big Ten corner. But you got to have somebody opposite him, and you got to have a nickel probably in there too. So 
the number of guys that you have that can cover suddenly becomes kind of a question where it's we Ambry Thomas has never been a full-time starter either this would have been his first time starting replacing David Long who was a draft pick this year um so that wasn't really a guarantee either even though he had played some in previous years so corner really is kind of the we don't know and I think the the interesting thing is um Milton Seal will throw the ball they'll spread you out and yeah. they'll put it in the air so I think we'll find out uh at least you know in terms of basic fundamentals like who's ready to do this and who's not pretty quickly in game one yeah you'd think based on what we're hearing the hope might be that Ambry Thomas is back uh, full speed for the Wisconsin game and yep. you know you play Army next week which Army never throws sure. it so that's nice and you know Middle Tennessee as you say they'll they'll throw it all over but uh, still a team that you would think Michigan would be able yep. to handle so you, know, you catch a break from a schedule standpoint that it'll be a while before you really see a team that um, could really expose that but definitely something uh, worth keeping an eye on and you know the other interesting thing with the secondary uh, is that other safety spot you know Josh Metellus is back uh, it sounds like Brad Hawkins is the guy that's going to play out there at safety everybody's waiting for Dax Hill to you know when is Dax going to basically claim that job and it doesn't sound like that'll happen right away uh, I guess what's what's your guess on that will we see Dax Hill starting at safety by mid-season or is there a scenario where it does take him a year to really get in that mix so Hawkins and Daxton Hill. I mean, they they love they love. I think what Hawkins has done the offseason, That's we've heard that a lot. That he's grown a lot as a player. That he's gotten a lot better. Um, that he's fast, and we know all these things. But both of those guys, like Hill especially, is like a he seems like a nickel to me in this defense. Like he's he's covered man to man before. Um, that's what he did in high school. <clears throat> I don't know if I would say that. I think Daxton Hill is going to be starting at safety before the year is over with. Um, but I think he could be in a nickel situation. I think that Metellus, again, Metellus is like Sean McCune, another guy who's been a pretty steady player for four years here now, but like has had a couple hiccups over the years. So people, that's all they want to remember and say, oh, this guy, he can't do any, he's not any good. Somebody's got, but no, he's a senior safety who's been a starter for three years. Like he's a pretty good football player. Um, and then that other safety next to him would be the one where you're like, I don't know, because Jumeric Woods has played some as well. He's not as fast as Brad Hawkins. Do you want to do uh, Metellus, Woods, Hawkins as a nickel, or do you want to do Metellus, Hawkins, Dexton Hill as a nickel? Those are the those would be the two scenarios maybe that I would look at and say, what do you want to do there? Because I think the latter, Metellus, Hawkins, Hill, would be your fastest. And you put Ambry Thomas and Levert Hill maybe in your best-case scenario. And that's a pretty fast back five. And uh, a big issue they had last season was Brandon Watson and Tyree Cannell were two guys in that back five that didn't run real well. So maybe you're upgrading. So See, that's the thing. I think they're faster on the back end possibly this year. Hmm. I haven't understood the, are they faster in the front seven? Because I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> like, And they've said that a bunch. And I'm like, I, I guess you guys have these 40 times and you see them play. I don't know. But the back end, I think they have a chance really to be much quicker because, like we said, to Jackson Hill. But to your point earlier... Um, yeah, they've been a little more careful with him today. That today, not so much. Harbaugh did say he's yeah. been less advertised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe he'll be all aboard the uh, Daxon Hill train right away. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that um, he's ready to start right away because I don't know if they need him to start right away. But um, I would say find him a position, let him learn it, and then go from there. The last thing I would do is say, okay, Daxon Hill, you're going to play a little safety, a little nickel, and then maybe even a little corner. No, like you got to let him find one spot, grow in it. Uh, and move on from there. And I, I assume that'll, that's what will happen. Mike Sorter is a pretty good defensive backs coach, so 
uh, along with Partridge. So I think that's probably what we'll see. But um, could see a lot of guys. I think you'll see it on defense in general. I think you'll see a lot of guys play on Saturday and uh, maybe even the next week as well. All Maybe. Right. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I'll do that. my homework is done for the night. Uh, <laughs> check out The Athletic uh, later today. We'll have the uh, the full projected Michigan depth chart up there. And uh, Nick, got the first one off yeah. the ground. So the the podcast name, RPM, Run Past Michigan. I we, we thought Run Past Option, Run Past Michigan, that'd be a cool name. And I've again, I've named three of these now in the last three years. I was running out of names. <laughs> But I think this is a pretty clever one. I think it could be okay. Well, as, as we previously said, there are literally a million Michigan football right. podcasts. So just to come up with a name that hasn't right. been used, yeah. I thought was an accomplishment. And we'll do this twice a week. I don't know how long we'll do them. I, don't, I mean, I think that for, for now it'll be like in this length. Maybe in time we, we expand on that. I don't know. But uh, we'll certainly uh, roll with it as we go. We'll be back, what, on Thursday or Friday or yeah, one, later in the week. Like that. And yeah. I think Before, that we'll, before kickoff. We'll discuss... Uh, more, I think that'll be the plan, right? Monday, we'll recap probably the game that we just saw. Yeah, a little later bit of Harbaugh's Monday yeah. presser, and then we'll look ahead to the Later in the week, we'll later look ahead to what they're going to do. Makes yeah. sense to me. That makes sense. We can't screw this up. This, this should be easy enough. <laughs> Famous any last event. word. Yeah. All right, well, in any event, uh, I think this is... Uh, is this the one that's going to be uh, available on iTunes? Do we know that yet? And any, How about you just subscribe <laughs> to The Athletic? Uh, we'll that's surprise probably the best, best way to do this. Uh, I think there, there will be a link in the show notes, uh, I'm fairly certain, on, uh, on promo codes and all that sort of thing. Yes. So uh, make sure you do that. Make sure you follow Austin on Twitter. It's by Austin Meek, correct? Correct. M-E-E-K. Uh, if you don't know where I'm at, don't follow me if you don't already because I don't need any more people yelling at me uh, in any event. <laughs> Uh, appreciate everybody for joining and listening. We got anything else? You, you good? I think that's it. No, All right. We're good. Uh, thanks, everybody. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you later. A place for you inside.